Second Corinthians chapter nine, chapter nine, uh, verses six through thirteen. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God with the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. Thank you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6-13. Just so we know you're not making that stuff up, right? (laughs) Thank you, Ernie. I want to, uh, well, first of all, this is our Commitment Sunday, and if you're visiting today, you, you, didn't, you didn't know that. I mean, I'm thinking, okay, well, I've got to soften the blow for you, but just observe what happens. And here today, you're going to see some expressions of faith in God and generosity, and you can relax and no compulsion on, in that. You'll hear that today out of the text. But um, we had a, a cool event on Friday night, and we had over uh, 200 people there that were uh, just stories that were shared, and um, from the past and the present and the future kind of a format and uh, a wonderful time uh, to hear about God's work in, not just in history but today and then projecting that out into the future. So thanks and I want to thank all of those who were uh, serving uh, in any way in the last four or five months in this in this campaign and we had over 200 people serving so that's a cool thing and particularly there were 15 people uh, who were on this campaign team, and I want to I want to go there for a minute. And um, <clears throat> before I do that, can I can I just share something that's kind of funny? Uh, I put my shoes on this morning, and uh, this will lighten the, uh, the 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 day up for us all. And you know, it's a beautiful day, right? So I've, I was looking around for some shoes, and I have a, a, a bunch of shoes there in the closet, and I, I found these, and I remember that these were given to me a while back by somebody, and um, <clears throat> he was actually, he's a shoe collector, and this is, this is kind of funny, but I don't know many shoe collectors. I do collect shoes just because I hate to throw things away, and I've got some really old, stinky ones in there somewhere, but these were shoes that he, he went out of his way to give me. Felt, I think he felt like I needed an upgrade, is what I feel like. You know, somebody has a suggestion for your life, and um, so, it, and he told me, I said, I know nothing about shoes, so he, he filled me in way more than I wanted to know, but these shoes, when they're new, they cost about 400 bucks, which I would never spend, right? Right? I mean, I, this does relate to stewardship, I think. But um, for some of you, aren't these, you know, they look nice, you know? And um, yeah, right, you can whistle, whatever. And, but he refurbishes shoes, these really good shoes, and then he resells them, and he just wanted to be nice to the pastor kind of a deal. And so, but then he says, they're great shoes, but he says, uh, the one thing, you can't wear them when it's raining. 
which is why you have not seen these shoes before. I wanted to let you know. And I'm thinking, gosh, who's going to pay $400 for shoes that you can't wear in the rain in Seattle? I mean, it just doesn't make sense, you know, the whole thing. So um, that is just to, uh, that has nothing really to do with where we're going here today. Back to these 15 people who uh, served on the campaign team. Uh, I want to just say you to them in a special way, and we'll be hearing more about this in the weeks to come. We have uh, three weeks, actually, before we do our celebration Sunday, where we announce the total for the whole campaign. And, um, and so, just, but here's a prelim on that, because it relates to the text, that it's not easy to lead, and when you lead, you know, you're, you're sort of vulnerable, and you don't, no one leads perfectly, but I want to just say this about these people, is that they were good-hearted people doing the best they could out of love for Jesus and out of love for the church. And I, I, just want, I just want you to know that that's what I experienced. And to me, that's the bottom line. Uh, you know, we might uh, not agree on everything, but that, that, that part I want to bear witness to. And uh, it, it relates to Paul here in chapter 8, which we're, where we were last week, but we didn't get to this part. And I just want to touch on it before we go. Uh, Paul is giving... He's here writing the letter to the Corinthians down here. They're getting a gift from all of these churches in this area, actually this whole area here, and they're going to take it down into Jerusalem where the poor are not being able to uh, find food. Uh, There's a famine there. And he's having to defend the leaders who are part of this entourage. They've been elected from each church. And he wants the Corinthians to know that these were people uh, who were doing their best they could and who were doing it for the right reason. And so he says in verse 20, actually I have that text up here. I'll just read it for you. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man or people. And I want you to hear that uh, heart of Paul there is he's saying, look, uh, these people are doing the best they can for the right reasons. And I want you to hear that about these 15 people. It was a great experience. They got to know each other and love each other more deeply. And... um, and just to let you know what's going to happen next is that over the next three years, this campaign will have a life that goes for three years, and every quarter you will get an update on what has happened and the impact that your gifts are making in the, in the church and in the world around us. Because it's really, there's so much about outreach in this campaign. So you'll be hearing stories, and uh, there'll be accountability in that way. And that's, that's the heart of this. We're, we want you to know that this is all above board. Okay, so there's ripple effects, Paul is saying. That's where I want to go this morning is with the idea of ripple effects, that when you give, we looked at last week, Paul was so excited about the fact that when all these churches on that map gave to the church in Jerusalem, it was a a huge symbol of the church being one, not divided into the Jewish Christians and the non-Jewish Christians, but that everybody was one. And what a statement that was to both to God and to people. Beautiful thing. Uh, that's Paul's concern. But today we're going to look at, in chapter 9, same, same letter, and look at the ripple effects in more detail of what happens when we give and apply that then to our lives. So ripples, uh, you, you see that there? That's a ripple. What caused that? Anybody know? My theory is that was a big rainbow trout that caused that. <laughs> 
Others have said it was a little boy who threw a rock in the water, but whatever. It's a ripple, and the ripples go out, and we don't always get to see where they end up when we give. And so we're going to look at the law of sowing and reaping, which you're familiar with. The harvest of righteousness, we'll explain that, and then the law of reaping and sowing, which is the backwards way of looking at the first one. I'll explain all of that as we go. All right, so the law of sowing and reaping basically is that you reap what you what. You reap what you sow, and you're, if, if you were raised in kind of like what I would call like a family like, I think most of us were raised in, your parents will have taught you that. That if you do good, then good things will happen to you. And uh, it, it has lots of variations in terms like garbage in, garbage out, and uh, uh, what goes around comes around. Uh, in the Eastern uh, world, it's called karma. And that, so every religion has a version of this law. And um, it, it would be the extreme atheist who would deny this, is kind of what it boils down to. So we all kind of agree that this thing is, at least we're hoping it's there. And I think there's a lot of evidence that it is there. And then we're going to get into a little bit of the question that comes with that evidence. But inside of each person, there's this thing about justice. And how do you, you know, when you see something that's unjust, clearly unjust, it relates to this law. That that shouldn't happen because you have a good person who bad things are happening to. We were... I felt this yesterday. We were at our daughter-in-law uh, graduated from med school yesterday, and we were at the uh, ceremony. It was, you know, really, you know, that was a big deal, and uh, uh, proud of her. So, so proud of her. Um, but in, in the ceremony, uh, they, they reached a place where there was a, a, a vacant chair, and that was in memory of one of the students who died last year. And it just didn't seem right that somebody who had studied to be a doctor died while he was in med school. I mean, just, it just, that didn't, doesn't fit with this somehow. That's just an example of something from my world yesterday. Now, every parent tries, I think, to teach this to their children. You want them to know that generally, in, in the world out there, that this is true. But you also have to teach them that it's not always true or they will get disillusioned. It's not always true, folks. It doesn't always work. And that's why it really shouldn't be called the law of reaping and sowing. It's a general truth that is kind of like the distilled wisdom coming down through the ages. And you can all think of exceptions to this rule or, or this law. I mean, I mean, we'll get to the big one, which has something to do with Jesus, and you can figure that one out, but we'll get there. But I, uh, years ago in Alaska, I was uh, with... Um, a guy I got to know, he was a real estate agent, and he wasn't part of the church, but uh, I like to hang out with people who aren't always here on Sundays, you know, it's, I learn things, and I got to know him and be a friend, and he took me out on his boat, and he was an ex-Marine, and my dad was a Marine, and so we had that in common, and we talked, and I learned from him that he, after he got out of the Marine Corps, he re-upped in the Air National Guard in a unit in Alaska, and he did not know and I've heard this from others who were in that unit, that that unit was one of the most corrupt places on the planet. And it had to do with their leadership. And so guess what got rewarded? If you were a cheat and a scoundrel, you got promoted. And if you were honest and hardworking, you didn't. You, you were persecuted for that. It was very unfair. And he just got teary as he talked about it. That's what this law 
it, it, that's the exception. I mean, it's not the way it's supposed to be. And I had to, I spent lots of time with him and finally got him to come to church and he was part of that until he, he moved to uh, Juneau. But uh, it was, I, had to, I had to try to convince him that, that, that that law does not always hold true and that we have to, part of our faith is to walk through that when it doesn't. And it's all rooted in, in what Christ does. So anyway, that was an example of how this thing works. So Now Paul applies this law to giving. And he says that if, you know, I'll prayer, paraphrase in verse 6, but he says, if you give a little, you will get a little. And if you give a lot, you will get a lot. Now, the, the, you may be giving money and getting something else. We're not, that's a bit of a mystery. We'll get into that. But that's the law applied to money or, or generosity in, in, with stuff. And so, and then Paul, uh, how does it work? Well, he wants you to know in verse 7, and I'll, I'll read this for you. Um, each one should give what they have decided to give in their heart. You, just, you make a decision, and it's a free decision. Uh, no one can command you to be generous. It would, it, it just, it's an oxymoron. You can't command somebody to be generous. You can only invite them to be generous, and it has to come from their heart. So Paul, we looked at that last week. It's, it's freedom. Now here's the problem with freedom. Free choice is two-edged. It gives us dignity, but it also gives us anxiety. That was, he's a seminary professor I had. Isn't that the truth? That the more freedom you have, the more anxiety you have. Wouldn't you prefer if somebody just says, here, this is what I've decided for you, give this, and you're good. But it doesn't work that way. There's no formula here. It's a heart thing that has to be discerned spiritually. And I'm calling on you as your pastor to go there. Go there if you haven't done it already and discern that spiritually. Paul gives us a little bit of insight into how we might do that. Uh, Not reluctantly or under compulsion. And then he says, for God loves a what? You guys know that verse. I'm not, you know, I've heard that verse so many times, I don't even... Just, just so you know, I don't know if you, did anybody else feel like they overheard that verse. Yeah, it just, I mean, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that, but there, there is, I'm going to use the word joy in, instead. But so not reluctantly or under compulsion. Um, you can't command it. So if you feel like, as you come and as you consider uh, giving today, or any really any Sunday, as you consider the Lord's work and uh, the ripple effects that your gifts might have throughout time and space. Um, it's not, if you feel like, you feel, if you feel a little bit guilty because you're giving maybe a little, or if you're feeling uh, proud because you've given a lot, either, either way, you've missed that sweet spot. And the sweet spot is where the word joy comes in. You'll know it when you feel that in, inside. And there's times where I give and I don't feel joyous. Uh, I really don't, but I do it out of duty. But if, it's just a practice, that duty turns into joy at some point. And that's, what, that's where faith comes in. You just have faith that, that what I'm doing is going to lead to a place of joy. And, and uh, I trust all of that. Now, now, Paul roots all of this in the person of Jesus Christ. We were there last week. And so we're going to repeat this verse. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And so we have the image of Christ before he was Jesus of Nazareth. He was the eternal Son of God. 
existing forever with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, in that dance of love that we talked about last week, where there was no anxiety, there's no compulsion. Everything is freely given and freely received within the Trinity. And, and it's this mutuality thing. It's what we long for in our hearts. That's the eternal life. It's, it's not just eternal in terms of quantity. It's, in, it's eternal in terms of quality. Quality of life. That's beyond our imaginations. And we're invited into that. But you can't imagine Jesus, you know, as the, as, or as, uh, before he was Jesus, he was the Son of God. You can't imagine the Father saying to the Son, I command you to go into that stupid world and get those people straightened out, you know, which, or even to go, go love them. You can't command somebody to love. You have the Father wanting the Son to come into this world, but the Son's is, heart is with the Father, and the, the Holy Spirit is there too, and it's just this act of mutual love that gets, we get caught up in as we experience God. So it's, the compulsion thing is not part of the deal. And hopefully the reluctance is not either. So, the law of, of uh, sowing and, and reaping, or reaping and sowing, and, uh, no, sowing and reaping. I'll come to reaping and sowing. First, though, let's go to the harvest here. The harvest of righteousness in verse 10. Let me read that for you. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. So what is the harvest of your righteousness? We have to uh, rehabilitate the word righteous or righteousness. Uh, It's not a great word. If somebody calls you a righteous person today, uh, I'm not sure that's good. I'm really not. And I, I'm not sure, what, I was thinking about this, if, if you were to say, well, we have this really righteous pastor. I don't know. <laughs> I, I prefer, like, maybe real or authentic or something along those lines. But what does righteous mean? It, here's how we define righteous or righteousness, is that that person is morally good. Or they tend to do, you know, maybe not perfect, but they tend to do good things most of the time. And, you know, I'm okay with that. But that's not the biblical definition of righteousness. That's, a lot, that, that's what I'm here to tell you as your pastor who studies this text. The, the, the definition of righteousness in the Bible is very different than that. Here's what it means. It means being rightly related. Whenever you see that word righteous or righteousness, think of someone who is rightly related both vertically to God, they're rightly related to God, and they're rightly related horizontally to people. That's what a righteous person is. Now, another definition that is very much Old Testament, but also finds expression in the New Testament, is that an old, or a, a, thinking of Abraham particularly, I'll give you the story here in a sec, but uh, is somebody who disadvantages themselves for the sake of someone else. That's what a righteous person is in the Old Testament. And Abraham was a great example of that. I think it's Genesis chapter 13 where there's a piece of land before he and his nephew Lot. And he tells Lot, Lot, you take the good land. I'm going to disadvantage myself. I'll take the marginal land. You take the good land. That's, right. That's an act of righteousness. So it's not just being morally good. It's, it's way beyond that. And when you think about who Jesus Christ is at the core is he not righteous in that he disadvantages himself for the sake of us, for of all people? That's the very core of who Jesus is. So once we're clear on the definition of righteousness, let me give you the, what would be the, uh, 
the fruit or the, uh, the rewards of righteousness. And um, the first one we'll just make mention of because it's where we were last week. The poor receive food. And that's a balancing out where you have poor people and rich people and the poor are able to receive. And, but Paul says it's way more than that. That's symbolic of theological unity between the Jew, the Jewish Christian, and the non-Jewish Christian. And so that was a, that, way more than... So there's a ripple effect there as well. But he, where he goes here in, in verse 8, and I'll read that for you. Um, there's a list here of things that he says are the ripple effects or the harvest of righteousness. Verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. All grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So the thing I want you to focus on, though, is that when you're generous, when you give freely, that there's a generosity that comes back to you and that you will have what? All that you what? It's, it's not want, is it? <laughs> you noticed. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I, I mean, if I could, I'd change it, but I can't, you know? All that you need. And God, that's a promise that you can, you can hang on to. God will give you all that you need. And I know that we have testimonies of people in this room who have experienced that. What they ended up giving generously, sowing the seeds that produced that fruit of righteousness in their lives and they received all that they needed. What they needed may have been material, it may have been a word of encouragement, it may have been somebody else praying for them, but they received all that they need. And then secondly, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be more generous. Verse 11. God makes us rich in every way. So Paul's saying rich, maybe financially rich. That's not the point. That's, that's not Paul's point. Rich with Paul is to be rich towards God. And that is a whole quality of life thing that goes way beyond just finances. But that causes generosity in you. The more you receive, the more you give. It's just the way God is. God is not stingy with his with himself, with his stuff. He's not stingy at all. Then there will be thanks and praise to God as the news spreads. Verse 12 and 13. Let me read that for you. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people in Jerusalem, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. He talks about how this goes out. That people will hear the stories of your generosity and those stories get told in this place on the map and then somebody from another town is visiting there and remember all these this entourage of people they were from all over and they're going to spread the news and there's going to be thanksgiving and praise to God when you give generously it just goes back to God and to know that you have the power within you within you have the power today folks we have the power to cause people to thank and praise God. Friday night, we were doing some of that as we were thanking and praising God for the acts of faithfulness of a group of people 40 years ago who met together in a small group and started this church. And we're thankful. Are we not? Yeah, very thankful. So this is Paul, his point. It's never, these are the ripple effects that go out. And to have those kind of ripple effects is a wonderful thing. 
And finally, he says in verse 14 that they, that would be the church in Jerusalem, they will pray for you. They're going to receive from you, but just know that in receiving from you, they're going to be praying for you. And so there's a, 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 a harvest of righteousness there as well as we connect ourselves with that. I don't know how that works in these. Maybe we will produce prayers as we give today. All right. So there's the harvest of righteousness. Here's a, a quote. I don't know who this is. I, all I know, he's a scientist. But what a great quote. Not everything that counts can be counted, and not everything that, that can be counted counts. Isn't that a great? I mean, that, that gets at the heart here of what Paul is saying, that there's this ripple effect that goes out, and you can't contain it. You, don't, you have no idea when you give where the ripples will go. Well, it's just, you can't count it. it it's, a, it's a spirit thing. All right, so let's get to the last thing, which is the, um, the, uh, the law of reaping and sowing, kind of going backwards here. And I'll try to explain it to you. It's not that hard, but I got this concept from a guy named Cornelius Plantinga who wrote a book on sin. It's a great, if I could recommend one book on sin, now who wants to read that, right? Uh, his book on, on sin, it's called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. It's a fantastic understanding of how sin works in our lives. But in there he talks about this law. that We, we get used to the, the law of, uh, you know, uh, sowing, let's see, what is, I, sowing what you, uh, sowing and reaping, but this is reaping and sowing. So let me explain the law the way we heard it first, the first time through this morning, the law of sowing and reaping, where you reap what you sow. Here's the example that he gives in the book. That if you have a, uh, a parent with children, and they physically or in some other way that we don't want to even think about, abuse their children, then as those parents enter into old age, and their children are now in a place of taking care of them, if the law of... Sowing and reaping is in effect. What would happen to the parents? Have you heard of elder abuse? I mean, that's, that's how that would work. That's, if, if they've abused the children, the children get older and empowered, they will abuse the parents. It's not good, but that's... And just to lighten the load here, if that happens positively, where you have parents who are investing in their children with love and grace, what happens to the parents when they get old? You see? They get, I mean, that's the way that law should work. However, here's the, here's the other, the law of seeping, or reaping and sowing, is that when the parents abuse those children when they're young, it's when those children get older, and now their parents, they abuse their children. So that there's this chain reaction of negative behavior. It's called generational sin in the Bible. And that's also something that we see in our world. Now the truth is, those, see, those are ripple effects. And the truth is that a ripple effect can either be one of grace or one of sin. This is the power of generosity or the limitations of stinginess. I am so grateful that my father and my father-in-law were generous and they modeled things for me as a parent or as a as a son, then a parent, and I'm able to model those things to my children. And wouldn't you want your children to say, my mom and dad were so generous. I, I, can't, I can imagine maybe a few things I would want more to hear out of their mouths, but not much on, on that list would be above that. 
for them to say, Mom and Dad were so generous. Do you know, we've, I, I, this is, I just thought of this, so it's not in the script or anything, but we have a will, which I highly recommend. I'm not talking about a, I have, I'm like, I don't have a strong will, I do that too, but I'm talking about a will that you, when you die, think, right? Okay, yeah, so we're clear. And in our will, it says that 10% of everything that we own when we die goes to the Lord's work. I'm, I can't believe that, that all Christians don't do that. I'm just saying it right here. If that's how we live, that's the voice of generosity and how we live, then why wouldn't we want that in our wills when we die? I mean, that's the ultimate thing, right? You can't control it beyond that. I want my children. I want my children to know that about me. I've had some great models in my life of generosity. And uh, I love to be around generous people. Partly because, hey, <laughs> they're generous. And you receive so much when you're around generous people. Whatever, if they're generous with their uh, words. They say you're doing a great job. They're proud of you. They're whatever. I mean, that's, that's the spirit of generosity. It's not the spirit of scarcity. Whatever they have, they want to give away. I love being around those kind of people. And I want to be that kind of person. And it's hard to be that kind of person all the time because things are scarce, right? And it feels that way. So who's the most generous person we can think of? And the answer is, of course, we're in church, so you can say it together. Yeah, that's the right answer. So let's just focus on him for a minute and we'll close. It's hard to imagine anybody more generous than Jesus. And Paul is making that point over and over again. He grounds everything he's saying in the fact that Jesus is generous. So Jesus experienced, let's, let's go to that first law, and what he, did, he, did he reap what he sowed? Let's go there first. And the answer is, at least as we look at the, the events that stop at Good Friday, the answer is no, because he was the righteous one. He was the righteous one. And yet, what did he get? He was generous to the point, you know, think, we think of open-handed, but we're talking about open-handed to the nails that went into his hands. That's how generous he was. And how good he was. And yet he was treated so poorly when he came into this world. And that's not fair. And we would all say, if we... You know, can see it if you watch the films and whatever. Read the read the four testimonies from Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll see that that there's something inside of you that says that's not right. How can that be? It's unjust. Well, we know that's not the whole story, and that ultimately uh, it works out in with the Easter story. But that in that sense. And then is Jesus the one who sows what he reaps? And if he were the one who sows what he reaps, then when he receives those nails into his hands, he would be cursing those who nailed those, his hands to the cross. Does he curse people who are evil to him? He loves them. He forgives them. I mean, this is pretty amazing stuff. He stops these laws. Literally, he has the power to stop these laws and create something else, and it's called grace. So that the more evil done to him, the more grace he gives to people. That's amazing stuff. And that's why Paul, just at the end of this section, he spouts out this outburst. And I want you to stand right now, and we're going to say it together, verse 15. And this is what everything that Paul is saying is rooted in. Uh, I need verse 15. I'm not getting it here. Can you get that up there for me, Brian? Somehow, I got out of the whole deal. There we go, right there. All right, on three. One, two, three. 
Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Now, His gift, His grace, His gift is Jesus Christ. So when you think Jesus, think generosity, think gift, He's the gift for you. Let's pray. Lord, as we consider uh, all of this, there's something, I think, if we're alert to you and your spirit, that is awakened in us, that causes us to hunger for those ripple effects, that we might be able to influence others, that we might be in a legacy place of those ripple effects, that, we, that people will be praising you and thanking you, whether it's in the decades to come or whether it's in the neighborhoods around now. We, we, we just hunger. I think we hunger for that, Lord. I really do. And those ripple effects, they, they come to our heart today. They remind us that there's nothing that we can do that would cause you to love us more than you already do. That we can say yes to you, Lord, and receive you as our Lord and Savior. And when we do that, our hearts are melted and our generosity is increased and we trust you for that. But we would pray specifically, Lord, as we come to this uh, time now in our service and in our history where we make these commitments, we would pray that you would bless them, that you would send those ripples out, that they would be waves, that they would be bigger than our gifts, that you would multiply and uh, amplify them. And Lord, in all of this, we are grateful, we root our selves in this statement that thanks be to God for his indescribable gift in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.